So this morning, we are beginning a new sermon series, and it's called Wiser, right? It's called Wiser, and as the name indicates, it's about becoming a little bit wiser in life. And I know that for me, and my guess is for all of you, that there are times that you look back on in life and you think, I wish I was a little bit wiser in this situation, right? I wish I hadn't dated that girl in college. I wish I had held my tongue. I wish I hadn't spent a whole bunch of money on that thing that was useless. I wish that I had put more or invested more into this relationship or that relationship. That we all have these where, gosh, gosh, if I had a little more wisdom in the past, I would have made a better decision for today. And so as a follower of Christ, we want to, and I, I think this is probably true of all of us who are believers, as followers of Christ, we have good intentions of we want to make good and godly decisions. And even if you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you say, I'm just kind of checking this out. I'm not sure I really believe all of this. That you would say, I, I, at least I want to make right decisions. I want to make good decisions in my life. And so that's what this sermon series is about. But sometimes making good decisions can be a little bit difficult, right? It was like, okay, I want to make the decision that God wants me to make, but I just don't know what it is. And so when that happens, sometimes we pull out the point and flip method, right? You go, you know, I don't really like my job. I don't have another job, but should I quit my job or should I keep my job? You know, and then we do one of these. Hup, back the other way. All right, here we go. The question is, should I keep my job? Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on that day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. And you're like, maybe I should be a fireman. I don't know. Right? You know, that's, you know, or you go, I'm really, I'm struggling with my kids. They're just driving me crazy day after day after day. And I've just, I don't know how to get them to kind of get in line with the family. What should I do? And then you go, okay, flip through and point. And we go, then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule and his authority shall be great authority. And you're like, I need to exert more authority on my kids. That's what I need to do, right? I, you know, sometimes I was kind of wondering if I would flip over to some crazy verse about cattle and oxen and I don't know. But, but we, we have this, like, I want to make better decisions, but I'm just not sure how. There's got to be a better way than just opening the Bible and hoping I fall and come across the right verse. And so what we're going to do over the course of this sermon series is we're going to look at how do we come, become wiser in a couple of key areas that I think are very true for all of us that many of us deal with in terms of wanting to be wiser in these particular areas. So this morning we're going to talk about wiser in relationship to marriage. So just out of curiosity to kind of know who's listening, how many of you are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Okay, raise your hand if you're not married. Okay, raise your hand if you're not sure that you're married. No, that's okay. Um, so we're talking talk about marriage, that's good. And I would also say I recognize that there are some folks here um, and that you would say um, that you're divorced. And, and I do want to say that as we go through this, this is n the purpose of this is not for you to look back with regret, um, but I do think that as you hear this message, there may be some things that you'll hear that say, if I had done those things, maybe things would have turned out differently for me. So I recognize that sometimes hearing a sermon on marriage when you're divorced or when you're single can be sometimes difficult. But I think this, um, as we look at this, will lay a foundation that is great for marriage, but we're also going to talk about principles that are going to apply to any, or not any, in most relationships uh, as we look at some of the applications here. But 
You know, when it comes to marriage, for some of you, you, you're just newly married, you've got a young marriage, maybe you're just dating somebody, and for you, it's like you are so in love. You are head over heels in love with that person. It's like all gaga, and wow, that's awesome. Uh, and, and for some of you, you have been married for a long time, a couple of decades, 20 or 30 years, and you would say about your relationship, about your marriage, you would say, we are more in love now than when we first got married. It may look different, but we're more in love now than when we first got married. But I also know that there's some of you here that you're in a marriage that's struggling, that it's difficult to communicate, and you're asking yourself, why did she change so much? Why did he change so much? What's different about our relationship now, which seems kind of like we have to really work and struggle to have a good relationship, and, and it used to be it just came so easy, and it was so fun and so life-giving. You know, and some of you may even be in a place in your marriage where you're beginning to ask the question, like, is this the end? Was this the right decision? Or you ask that question, did I marry the wrong person? And that's a tough place to be in. But no matter where your relationship is at, here's what's common about all relationships. Is every relationship, I don't want to say every, but I'm going to say 99.68% of all relationships started when you were so in love. Like, we were just so in love with each other when we were dating, when we first got married. We were just so in love. And when we're so in love, we do all kinds of crazy, nutty, somewhat embarrassing things when we're falling in love. So Stacy and I, there was a time where she came to visit me. We were falling in love, if you will. And I, and I thought, you know what? It would be so romantic to go out to my mom and dad's farm and to bring my guitar and to bring some song sheets and just to play music and just to sing with one another, right? And, and I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I have no rhythm on the guitar, which is why I don't really play. Uh, and Stacy is only qualified to sing at her grandmother's church of 10 people. Like, that's sort of the level of our musical stuff. I'm like, it'd be so, doesn't that sound romantic to do that, right? Wouldn't you love to see a picture of that? I mean, let the romance flow right there. We were young. We were in love. It was a beautiful thing. But we do these things. When we fall in love, we just do these crazy, fun things because it builds the relationship. It builds the romance. We're so into whoever that other person is. But the problem is that sometimes and oftentimes, if it's not given attention, the love that we have in a romance, the love that we have, fades. And, and so the question that I want to answer today is, how do we keep the love and the romance in our relationships? Because I tell you, as I, as I talk to people who are divorced, going through divorce, so often I feel like I hear this phrase like, we're still friends, we just fell out of love. And maybe you hear that too. We just fell out of love. And so the message this morning is kind of an antidote to that. How do we prevent ourselves from falling out of love? And we're going to talk from Proverbs chapter 7 this morning. So if you brought your Bible, open up to Proverbs uh, chapter 7. And I would also say this just to, to some of you. If you're here this morning and you're in maybe a toxic marriage or you're in a marriage that is, that is just spiraled out of control, 
the reality is a 30-minute message is not going to change your marriage, right? But I would say if you feel like you're in that place, I would encourage you to reach out to me or reach out to JT Dora. We would love to help walk you through that or point you in a direction to get that marriage and to help you with that. But I do want to kind of point out that I think this is going to be helpful for a lot of marriages, but some definitely might need um, some extra on top of that. So this is Proverbs chapter 7. It says this. The writer says, For at the window of my house I looked out through the lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. One of the things when we talk about men and women in, in marriage, and especially in young marriages, is that they lack sense. We think, you know what, this is the way that I feel today, and I will always be head over heels in love with this person. No matter what happens, I will be in love with this person. And again, we do crazy things when we're in love. I talked about Stacy and I going out to that pond, and that was my idea. When we first started dating, we were uh, living in separate cities, and we would do the craziest things to try and get some time in the same city. Uh, and it was expensive to like call. You actually had to pay for minutes when you called back then, uh, and then we did plane flights, but there was a time when Stacey actually sold her plasma to buy a plane ticket to come up and to visit me. Like, like that, that's crazy in love, right? I mean, imagine that, you know. Um, but that's the, like, is that a, a woman lacking sense? Well, maybe a little bit. Um, but we do these things, but the, the, the lacking sense part is not the crazy fun stuff that we do. It's that we think, well, it'll never fade. It'll always be that way. On the other side of the spectrum, I think that there can be sometimes a fatalistic point of view where you get to a point where you say, well, we've, we've just fallen out of love. It's, it's, it's too late for us. I think about that song from the Righteous Brothers. We've lost or you've lost that loving feeling and now it's gone, gone, gone. <clears throat> and can that ever be regained again? That's another version of lacking sense. So then it goes on and continues, and it says this in verse 8. It says, Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight in the evening at the time of night and darkness. Now, let me give you the context of the whole passage, the whole 20 or 30 verses or so. But it's going to end with this young man walking down the street, kind of getting closer and closer and closer, and then he's going to end up in a full-fledged affair with a prostitute. Okay, that's how it's going to end. Um, and I, I want to share that with you, and that's not exactly the application we're going for this morning, but, um, but he, it says, uh, he follows her as an ox to slaughter. He does not know it will cost him his life. But here at the beginning, he's making this decision. He's saying, you know what? I can just head down in that direction. Like, I can go down there. I'm not going to her house. I'm just kind of going in that part of the town because I know I'll never fall for that sort of thing, right? And he has that view. He's like, I'll kind of get close, but I, I'm not going to go all the way down that road because I know that the end of that road is, is, is pretty bad. And we have that same view of ourselves, right? It, just not in the sense of sexual adultery necessarily, but in, in the sense of like, you know what? I, I, we will always be in love. So I don't have to pursue it. And so what happens is we stop pursuing the other person. We stop pursuing romance. And we go, well, that'll never happen to us. And, we, we, and I think we kind of make excuses about like, well, we're kind of in this season of life. Like life is just busy, 
you know, and, and our kids are little and they require a lot of time and energy and we don't really have time to pursue each other. Or I'm at this point in my career that's like a real like kind of dividing line. Like at this point in my career, like it either takes off, it's going to be great, or it, it flatlines. So I don't really have the time to pursue that thing. It'll be there when I, when I have time for it. But we get into this trap of it'll never happen to me. You know, and, and I think also sometimes we make excuses when we know, like, I know I should pursue my husband. I know I should pursue my wife. I know that we should keep that relationship and that love pursuit front and center. But it, I'm not doing that. But it's not like I'm pursuing an affair. It's not like I'm an abusive husband. It's not like, and we kind of make these excuses all the while, we're bit by bit slowly falling out of love. I heard a great quote from a pastor this week. He said, getting divorced because you fell out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. Kind of insightful there. So this young man, he begins to go in the wrong direction. It says, and behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. So it starts with a kiss. And that proceeds very quickly from there. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us, let us delight ourselves with love. The man falls completely for this trap that she has set for him. And then here's how it finishes. All at once he follows her as an ox going to the slaughter. As a stag is caught fast till the arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know it will cost him his life. When you read the Bible, the Bible has a way of putting things in bold. You know, when we want somebody to notice something, we're putting something in like 72-point font, bold, underline, italics. We go, this is important, right? The Bible does that in a different way. It says the same thing, three times over. Whenever you see something repeated three times, whether exactly the same phrase or slightly different, you know this is a huge point. And that's what it does here. It says, an ox to the slaughter, a stag whose liver is pierced, and a bird who will die in a snare. Three times it says, this is the direction that you are heading. At one level, this passage is about the warning against sexual adultery. At another level, we could talk about affairs in a more kind of non-sexual way. That there's a tendency that we can have affairs, and, and I'm stereotyping a little bit, but a man can have an affair with his work. Not an affair at work, but an affair with his work. And women can do the same thing with that. But it's when we, you know, I'm focusing so much on my work to the neglect of my wife. And it can happen the other way as well. And again, I'm stereotyping a little bit here, but women or moms can have an affair with their kids, right? And, and again, dads can do it too, but women can sometimes be so focused on raising the kids and making sure she's pouring into them that they neglect their relationship with the husband. That's a different sort of affair, but that can be in view here as well. But the lens that I want to see this through is that in the same way that this man walked down this street and ended up in a full-blown affair. 
is that we as couples, as husbands and wives, can walk down this street and it ends up where we completely fall out of love because we've neglected the romance in our lives. We've neglected nurturing the relationship. So here's the question that we're going to answer for the rest of our time this morning. Is how do we be wiser in our marriage so that we don't fall out of love? Or similarly, be the same answers. Is how, do we, how do we be wiser in our marriage so that we fall back into love with our husband and our wife? So here's the first one. When you think something good, say it. When you think something good, say it. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're not married, these, four, uh, excuse me, these three applications will apply to you in any relationship that you value, any relationship that you want to get better or increase. So when you think something good, say it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says this, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And I love that verse, how it says, as long as it is called today. Because every day is today, right? I just love that the writer put it that way. Like, so today is Sunday. Today is today. Tomorrow will be Monday. But when it gets to Monday, we will call it today, right? Yesterday was Saturday. But when we were in yesterday, we said today is Saturday. And it's also today, right? And so and I love just that kind of that view of as long as it is called today which would be every single day, sort of like that old joke, every day that ends with the letter Y, you're supposed to do this, right? So as long as it's called today, then do what? Then encourage one another. And that's the idea here. And it's not just to think encouraging things, but when you think something about your wife, about your husband, about your wife, about your spouse, then say it, express that to them. You know, and, and that could be, in the extraordinary things. Your husband or your wife did something amazing. You're like, man, that was so awesome. Thank you for doing that. And we express that. But I also think that there's great value when we express what we feel on the mundane things, on the everyday things. Thanks for doing the laundry. Thanks for filling up my car with gas. Thanks for, and, and fill in the blank after that. One of the things that can help to build this, if you're looking for like a starting point with building this back up, is every time that you say, I love you to your spouse, put a reason behind it. I love you because. What happens in life is we end up just in regular everyday life, we end up with these sort of cordial greetings to one another, right? We meet somebody who say, hey, how you doing? Fine, how you doing? Right, and we just go by. And we all know that we don't really mean like, how you doing? And they're going to stop and tell us, you know, their life story, all the aches and pains in lives. It's not, it's just the way that we do things. But that can sometimes spill over into a husband-wife relationship. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Goodbye. You know, or we say, love you. Love you too. See you tomorrow. Love you. Love you. And we don't even put the I in there. We're so lazy with it, right? I love you. Love you. And we, and we do that. And we can get kind of into this rote thing. But what if when you said, I love you, you said, I love you because? You know, what if I were to say, 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 I love you because you are an amazing mom. I love you because of the way you pour into middle school girls. I love you because of the friends that you are with people. I love you because, well, I can't say that because you're sitting next to your son, but you know, I love you. 
that'd be embarrassing for everybody. But, you know, I love, but if we say, I love you because, that's this idea of saying it. That will nurture and build a romance in your relationship. Here's the second thing. When you think something special, do it. When you think something special, do it. Okay? Um, this is true of me, and I'm, I don't know if this is true of you. I'm going to presume it's probably true of, of you as well. But when it comes to this, like, I feel like I'm long on good ideas and short on follow-through. Right? I'm long on good ideas, but I'm short on follow-through. And so this helps me. When I think of something special, go ahead and do it. Right? This would be, you know, and it's actions towards your husband or wife. Uh, you know, early in our marriage, I thought of something special. I'm like, I'm going to get Stacy flowers. She's going to love that. And I got her flowers on a couple of different occasions, and they always ended up dead in the back of her car. It, like, that didn't speak to her. But then quickly I realized that doing something special for her is like, if I clean the kitchen, she loves that. If I clean out her car, if I clean her car, if I do those acts of service, that's her love language. Those are the special things. And so when I remember that, when I think something special, then I do it. When those ideas come, then do it. Because, again, remember when you first fell in love, when you were first trying to, to win over your husband, to win over your wife, we all did those sort of special, goofy, love, fun types of things. And to do that. I will say this in full disclosure. Um, I don't always get this right. Um, and on Monday night, uh, I was out for dinner. I got home. Um, home group was just finishing up. I said hi to people. And then Stacy had to go out and do something. And I got home and just kind of oblivious to everything else going on. I put one of our kids to bed. And I'm typing on, the com on my computer, on my laptop, and so forth. And then Stacy comes home. Uh, and the kitchen is an absolute wreck. Uh, that she had made dinner for the kids, and then I had gone out, and I hadn't noticed that she made dinner, and, and she was a little bit, like, short with me. You know how that is, right? You're married. You know how that goes, right? And I'm like, what did I do? And then I look up, and then she's like, you could have cleaned up the kitchen. I'm like, oh, I could have cleaned up the kitchen, right? I didn't think of it, and I wish that I had planned this marriage sermon earlier in the week, and then maybe I would have remembered it. Um, but but, but I share that with you just partly just say, hey, we have not arrived. Uh, that Stacy and I are in love. Um, but when, when things like that happen, it, it kind of drains the love tank a little bit. And so we need to actively work towards filling that up, actively work towards romance and nurturing our relationship. Here's the third point, is when you want something different, be it. When you want something different, be it. And this is a big one, and I saved it for last, because... In our marriages, we often want something different from our spouse. We want more of something or we want less of something. And how do we deal with that in a marriage? When you want something different, the step is to be it. You know, one of the places that this can come from in terms of in our marriages is that we have expectations of our husband or our wife that are too high. They're, they're unmeetable. We want them to meet all of our needs, and it doesn't happen like that. You know, and I think we get this, we get this picture from movies and TV shows and romantic comedies and things like that. You know, we have phrases, we hear phrases like, you complete me. You are my everything. You are my world. And they make for great TV and great romances, but the problem is, is that expectation is too much to put on somebody else. Without you, I'm incomplete. You complete me. 
The problem with that is that we're not who God has made us if we need that other person to complete us. We choose to be in that relationship. But as we look at this, if you're looking to that other person to be your everything, to completely complete you, they will fall short of your expectations. They will fail at that. And then you will quickly or slowly fall out of love because they just don't measure up to what you think they should be. But when you want something different, be something different. The first place to start when you want something to change in your marriage is yourself. Is look in the mirror first and say, what can I do? How can I be different? How can I be the husband or wife that he or she wants me to be? And begin to work on yourself first. And then as it comes time to look at the other person, I would kind of give you this advice. It's the idea of um, encourage what you want repeated. In other words, if, the, if your spouse does something, but you want them to do it more, they don't do it a whole lot or whatever, whatever it is, when they do something that is what you want, then encourage that and thank them and praise them and, and let them know in that way that that speaks to you, that speaks to your love language, that speaks to who you are in that relationship. And just be better about expressing those times, but first look to yourself and be who you want to be in terms of that relationship. I want to close with a verse from the book of Revelation. And I, really, I know the book of Revelation is not a normal place to look for a um, sermon on marriage. But it says this. Uh, and and the, um, this is talking about, it's actually Jesus talking to a, a church about that they um, have kind of fallen out of love with God. And it says this. It says, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And we take that and we can apply it to a marriage. It says, repent. Remember the height from which you've fallen. It says, repent. And so for us, we repent. We stop saying, well, we've just fallen out of love. We stop trying to change our spouse before working on ourselves. We stop thinking that our spouse is responsible for our happiness in our life. We stop focusing on our job or the kids or our hobbies to the exclusion of nurturing a relationship. We stop, we repent of those, and then it says, and do the things you did at first. Do those things that you did when you were dating. Do those things that you did in the first year of marriage when you pursued your husband, when you pursued your wife. Because I would almost guarantee that when you were first in that phase, when you thought of something good about that person, you expressed it, you said it. And when you thought of something special to do for him or for her, you did it. And you probably, I'm almost sure, you thought a lot more about looking at yourself and how can I be the man or the woman that's desirable to that person instead of trying to fix him or her to be who you wanted him or her to be. Repent and do the things that you did at first. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this morning. And uh, God, I thank you that you give us wisdom and insight into how to have marriages 
that last a lifetime, that nurture romance, that, that, that thrive and survive. And God, I pray that you would help us to put these things into practice. Um, and Lord, I also now just, I pause, and I pray for those people that this message has been hard. It's been difficult. You're in a difficult marriage. You're single and don't want to be single. Uh, or a marriage that didn't work out, and you're wondering, would this have helped? God, I just pray your touch upon folks right now that are struggling, recognizing that you have the perfect touch. I have words, but you have the perfect touch. And God, I pray that you would do that. Thank you for your love for us and that you're able to meet every one of us wherever we are. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.